Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch and rewatch the 90s animated series Reboot. I'm Ben. And I'm Jessica. I've been a fan for a long time. And I'm watching this for the first time. Each week, we'll take an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, we find out if it truly is better down where it's wetter as we dive into Season 2, Episode 6, Andrea. Andrea, not Andrala. Not Andrala. Okay. <laughs> Get it right, Ben. So how have you been? Not too bad, not too bad. Bit of a boring week, all tell. Uh, we did have some random people come around at work today and hand everyone beer and pretzels, which was weird. <laughs> How about you? How was your week? Been doing good. Been doing some like running and like hiking and uh, oh, fun. just enjoying summer life. You know, <laughs> I've got a nice cold brew with me and. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a good life. You got to enjoy summer while it's here. Yeah. So, today we're going to be doing Season 2, Episode 6, Andrea. It first aired on November 9th, 1995. It was written by Steve Ball, Phil Mitchell, Ian Pearson, and Susan Turner. And the story was by all four of them, too. And we open up. It's Dot's Diner. And there's trouble brewing in mainframe. <laughs> this is a great start already. I love it. There's a... <laughs> Crazy music stinger, like the music's all kind of like synthy, and uh, we get these binomes, and they're reenacting earlier episodes as Bob and Dot, Enzo and Megabyte, and they've got awful accents and bad acting, and I love it. So much for me being Mr. Save the Day. Want some used food? <laughs> <laughs> they're specifically reenacting the episode Quick in the Fed, the very end, where uh, Megabyte gets the magnet thrown at his head and falls off of the imaginary cliff that's there and i love that the binome version of megabyte like just like has to hold the magnet up to his head with his hand because <laughs> it's just a prop and you also get to see the little airbag that he lands in when he falls over the edge yeah and then even like a binome hack and slash jumping off after him you know? oh that part was great i loved it <laughs> i also enjoyed uh dot's uh, shameless flirting we obviously are getting rid of subtext in the soap opera version of this she's just like i don't want the food I want your love, Bob. And then Bob, Bob's got like a crazy like Australian accent or something. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of zoom out and we see that this show is on Mike the TV, which he is showing to a very, I don't know, distraught Enzo. Well, here he looked just bored as hell. Like he was kind of like tired of Mike's crap, you know? Yeah, he just, he just seemed real down. And uh, Mike tries a different episode of True Stories of Mainframe to try and cheer him up. Yeah, he goes to the Crimson Binome and uh, there's a nice little touch where the Bob actor slips up and says Gardener instead of Guardian. Uh, it's funny. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I don't understand why you would say Gardener. <laughs> Sounds very similar, you know, like this must be what it's like for Gavin to listen to us clumsily recap what happens, you know? <laughs> Every time you call him Zerg, this is... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Dot comes in and she chastises Enzo for watching too much Mike and uh, <laughs> tells him to play outside instead. So you can already tell Enzo's got some like preteen angst starting here. He has no friends and Dot's always busy and Bob's off in a game without him. And it seems like we're seeing that fallout from Dot scolding Bob a few episodes back in Bad Bob. Yeah. Bob is listening to Dot. He's backed off the Enzo time. 
and Enzo is not happy about it. Enzo's upset because Dot won't let him have fun in any of the games anymore, and Dot goes, games aren't supposed to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great line. Yeah. Speaking of, we get to see Bob in his game. Uh, he's flying what looks like the speeder from A New Hope that Luke drives around. Yeah, this looks like it's the same game from episode one. It does. When we got Skull Dot. Yeah, we've got like this kind of Hoth looking planet and they're flying through the caves and we know that something has gone wrong. Bob is yelling at some binomes and there's stuff about to explode in 10 seconds. Bob escapes from an exploding planet and then bursts right into the diner. He's pissed off at Quirk and John Luke. Uh, turns just as uh, Enzo misses his tackle and flies off screen. <laughs> but uh, he's had it up to here with all their Star Trek references and planet exploding, but mostly the Star Trek references. I said engage more times than make it so, actually. Uh, it's here that Dot suggests Bob run a refresher course for binomes entering the game uh, based on Bob's readme file. And I'm sorry, I've got to stop here. Bob wrote a book. <laughs> and it's more of a PowerPoint you'll see later. I need to read the book immediately. I want this book to be a thing. I want to see like all the little Bobisms and a chapter called When Things Get Bad very bad yeah but things get like there's like a sad music cue here happens as like bob quote unquote remembers and he hasn't got new friends because there aren't many small sprites left in mainframe since the twin city was destroyed and then dot gets sad because that reminds her of her father and i'm sorry what what is happening in this show right now they are <laughs> dropping so much lore in like two seconds and did this all happen in the last week's episode because like no this has all <laughs> happened before the show started but there was no hint of this previous. Yeah, this is the first time we're hearing of any of this. I mean, we know that Dot and Enzo are on their own. Like, obviously, they don't have parents because if they had parents, Enzo would actually be with his parents and not hanging out with his big sister all the time. So something must have happened to said parents. But we never hear anything about it until right now. And right now, it's here's everything about it. <laughs> hey, remember our tragic backstory? <laughs> So they go over to talk to Enzo, and Bob's like, hey, could have used your help in the game, and gets a smack from Dot. Dot's like, what did I just say? <laughs> and so Enzo's talking about how their stupid dad went and deleted all of his friends, and he runs tearfully out of the diner. Oh, man, it's a whole soap opera now. I, I think this is just mostly hormones, I'll be honest. <laughs> when a young sprite gets to that age, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> Enzo is talking about how he doesn't have any friends and even Frisket isn't hanging out with him. And he kind of has this vision of Frisket fighting off pirates on the saucy mare. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be a real thing Frisket was doing, which I would totally believe. Or just Enzo's imaginings. Yeah, I assumed it was a real live cutaway. <laughs> <laughs> so... So Bob's apparently decided he's done enough cheering Enzo up. He decides to call a town meeting and show them a PowerPoint about what games are and how to survive them. So rule number one, games are bad, okay? I enjoy the off-screen graphic depictions of beheading a Hydra in this <laughs> Yeah, okay, so uh, one binome's texting during the presentation. There's a rabid nine that starts freaking out. Holy crap, that nine. He thought that five was bad. <laughs> oh, man. And there's another binome that has I love you written on her eyelids just for Bob. <laughs> And we get 
a lot of stuff dropped on us here. Um, yeah. In addition to the background lore that Mainframe used to have two cities and Dot's dad was a scientist that exploded one of them, um, we also learned about game sprites, which we've seen this whole time in games, but I don't think we've ever called them game sprites before. Which now he mentions too that Enzo is also a sprite. So there's a difference between the in-game sprites and the out-of-game sprites. Yes. Yeah, so any, any of the Mainframers that look like people are sprites. And they look like numbers or binomes. I should say the ones and zero numbers. The actual numbers, I'm not sure what they are. <laughs> but yes, that's, that's different from the ones who live inside the game and I guess travel with the game. So you have your aggressives who attack the user, your defensives which block or delay whatever comes their way, the passives that reveal info about a game, the chaotics which destroy anything that moves, and a new one called AI that learn the user's playstyle to become better opponents. So uh, the deal is, you know, that some are helpful and some are harmful, but treat them all as potential threats. Yes, because you, if you're playing the game, they're probably going to go after you at some point. So as the audience starts to leave, he's like giving them homework assignments. I suggest you download chapters one through five or next time, that's Pong through to Space Invaders. He's such a good teacher. <laughs> So Fong interrupts his homework assignment to tap Bob on the shoulder uh, and explain that he has the perfect solution for Enzo's little problem, a robot. Danger, Will Robinson. They kind of like poo-poo the plan. Gus like, I think he might want a real friend. Which is funny because they're not real. They're not like, like real. They talk, yeah, like they talk, there's robots all over the place. Like half of the cat, like Fong's a robot, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know what Fong is. <laughs> I think we're going to get into some discussion about what is real and what is not later on after we go through the, the rest of the episode. So. I feel like half of the main cast is mechanical in some way. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're, they're all digital, you know, so like none of them are like actual physical anyway. So. Though I would imagine Fong's robot is probably less intelligent, so probably more like a toy <laughs> than it is like an AI. Like. Yeah. But a game interrupts them in the middle of this moment. <laughs> So a bunch of binomes start running out of the diner, and Cecil tries to shoo Enzo away, but he doesn't want to miss all the fun. Yeah, he was never told to not move if a game is coming. <laughs> just just don't go towards the game. Exactly. If he happens to be there when a game falls on him, is it really his fault? Some uh, binomes of note in this scene, there's a Waldo, or Wally for our UK friends, and our buddy the Five. Keep an eye out for him. He's shifty. <laughs> Bob and Dot race over, make it just in time, and everything is underwater. Enzo immediately gurgles out a <laughs> and gets rebooted into a one-eyed submarine captain. Uh, his sub is coolly designed to look like a giant fish. <laughs> and Bob and Dot reboot into really creepy-ass looking mer people. I love their mermaid outfits. No. Yes. No, they were horrible. So <laughs> I mean, Boz was okay. I should say, like, I kind of like the, the bright tropical fish colors. That was cool. But Dot's shark was so fun. She's got this awesome armor and the trident and like the cool like coloring on her face where she's all gray with black eyes. It was good. They were interesting designs, but I didn't find them pleasant to look at. <laughs> oh, I love them. I was all about them. Oh, man. So, so Bob thinks to himself, hey, nice ass, but apparently they're telepathic, so she hears him loud and clear. Yeah, keep those thoughts PG, Bob. <laughs> he looks up the game facts and discovers that he has a gigantic electric middle finger. <laughs> Two, actually. Yeah. And the Dot's trying to create water vortexes and piranha mines, because, you know, piranha mines are a thing. <laughs> she accidentally vortexes Bob as she is exploring her new Triton powers. Yeah, he's like, hey, come on! 
So the goal is to stop the user from finding the lost treasure of Atlantis. So they set off, but Bob can't stop himself from commenting on Dot's attractiveness again. Mmm, nice tail. I heard that too. <laughs> He's apparently had a fish fetish this whole time. I, I like the little don't we get. <laughs> Yeah. He's realized he forgot again. <laughs> uh, I also want to point out that this is like, I think one of the first times we get, or one of the few times we get a game that I think works really well for the concept. So the user is in their own sub. They've got a goal. They're trying to get to Atlantis. And Bob and Dot and Enzo all play people who are trying to stop the user from getting to that goal. It's like a race. Yeah, they're going against the user, the user's losing lives. It's a pretty fun setup. I didn't realize that the user had his own sub, I just assumed it was a shark. <laughs> well, I assumed the shark was a sub, much like the fish was the sub. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so speaking of the shark, uh, we see this pointy robot shark looking thing floating by, which gets the side eye from this strange orange cherubic elf girl. Little, little like mer-girl, but without the tail. And she pulls her starfish out of her hair and uses it as a boomerang to destroy the tail of the user's ship. However, the user is able to retaliate with a stun blast and she's left there defenseless as missiles head her way. Right, until Enzo scoops her up into his fish ship. Yeah, he disappears off into a cavern, leaving the user alone after he's saved his damsel. <laughs> right as Don and Bob show up. Yes, and that's this is when it's revealed to actually be the user. They blast it a few times and... Dot sets off a piranha mine, which creates this surge of piranhas that devour the shark into a robot skeleton. So this is why I didn't realize it was a sub, because there's a skeleton underneath. Well, it was a robot skeleton. <laughs> and Dot cheers, and Bob's like, great, only 14 more to go. You kind of looked up the lives thing earlier in the game, Bob, when you were checking out the stats. <laughs> so Enzo checks out an unconscious sprite laying in his sub, and as she wakes up, she starts hissing at him and burying her claws, causing his little eye patch to flip up in surprise. <laughs> <laughs> he compliments her on her nails and claims to be a guardian himself. Yeah, that's it. I come from the net. She starts to introduce herself too, but being a typical male, he just interrupts her. I immediately love how he's just like, oh man, your stuff is so cool. All I got is this lame eye patch of foreshadowing. <laughs> So she goes to look out the window rather than listen to him talk and senses some wolf eels up ahead. I really love that while he's talking, her face goes from this like hissing monster to like, oh, he's a little adorable. And we get to see her uh, order Enzo around as he pulls the ship aside and see some ominous glowing red eyes in the cavern they would have gone into. And before we get further, I do want to say Andrea is the fucking cutest. She's so adorable. Well, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> I, I did not have the same charm. She's cute. Live with it. Yeah. So Bob and Dot are smushing sharks, but it doesn't look good. The user still has eight lives left and they're on the final level. So Dot does one last smash with her vortex. Now there's seven lives to go. As she screams out in frustration, Bob manages to hamper the user's rudder to slow him down. So they figure maybe they'll try and win the game, but this means the game sprites are going to start going after them. Meanwhile, Enzo is telling Andrea tales of what it's like to be a guardian, and he's like putting himself as Bob in his stories, just kind of <laughs> talking about what a dope that Bob is and what a hero he is. Oh, sweet baby Enzo, such a liar. So Andrea like politely laughs at his stories, and so he immediately falls in love. <laughs> He tells her that this is the best time that he's ever had, and she responds with a perfectly elementary school. I like you, Enzo. 
which sends Enzo into a stunned moment. He just, she's not quite sure what to say until he responds back in kind. And he starts to describe what their life together will be like. <laughs> we'll hang out at the diner and I'll introduce you to all my friends. And how do you think that's going to play out, Enzo, when you introduce them to the guy in your stories that you've been lying about? <laughs> mm. I wonder. <laughs> but just then the user appears up ahead and starts firing torpedoes. Not just any torpedoes, krill torpedoes. <laughs> Andrea takes the helm and dodges all the incoming fire, which gives Enzo just the biggest boner. <laughs> He's like, thank, thank God this console is covering my crotch. <laughs> She's all about her piloting skills. They, hide, they do a cute little high five and then fire together with Manta and Stingrays. They managed to get one more life off the user, bringing his uh, life total to six. But uh, he gets off a giant blast and they have to skedaddle. And uh, Bob and Dot are swimming along when all of a sudden the water around them turns blood red for reasons unknown. What, what would be blood red? Hmm. What would be blood red? <laughs> I, can't, I can't think what would be blood red. Hmm. <laughs> Bob st- looks at Glitch and sees a bunch of approaching and friendlies. Uh, and we get to see the school of sharks in a frenzy headed towards Bob and Dot. Yes, and Bob uh, slices one of them in half with his middle finger spike, and the rest of them run away. Which, speaking of disturbing, the hollow shark was, I think, almost more disturbing to me than a shark with innards would have been. <laughs> he just peeled away, you know. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, he was like a shark suit floating in water so when the sharks do their little like jaw drop i was like yeah dudes i'm with you <laughs> I, yeah, I would leave too well unfortunately this just clears a path for the user to get ahead of them into the treasure before them so now it seems to me like the the user's in two places at once because both pairs of characters have been encountering it multiple times is it just going back and forth between them i think they did it pretty well because the first time enzo encounters the user he immediately leaves and then the second time he encounters the user, he immediately leaves. <laughs> so if, if Bob and Dot are following the user along, if they're behind him, they wouldn't have run into Enzo yet. But they try and catch up with the user as he makes his way towards the underwater city of Atlantis, which is pretty cool. I like this scene where we get to see them actually get to Atlantis and you see all the statues underneath the, underneath the water. I mean, obviously in 1995, you're not going to have the kind of technology from Finding Nemo where you had that great atmosphere filter that you could tell you're in water the whole time. But there was a bit of that there uh, when we finally get to the statues, how they kind of come out of the thicker water. Uh, They managed to get some of that atmosphere going on, which was pretty cool. And yeah, so just as it looks hopeless, the user shark opens up some jet engines for a final boost to the end, and then it's smashed from the side by Enzo's fish ship. Yeah, Enzo saving the day. <laughs> they look inside in horror as a game sprite is with him. Dot's like, we need to save him. And Bob's like, no, screw him. We need to win. I mean, Bob's kind of right. If they lose the game, they all die. <laughs> Enzo included. <laughs> they start to head towards the treasure, and we see the user is not dead. Uh, which I thought he was at first, but just limping, trying to catch up with them. And they're almost at the treasure when tentacles from the pit below just surge up and grab the two of them. Oh boy. Enzo starts freaking out about how they'll be nullified. And Andrea does not know what that means, which means Enzo finally gets the hint that she's a game sprite. He's like, why didn't you tell me? And she's like, well, I was trying if you would have shut up for a minute. Enzo knows. He didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to lose his new friends, but... Andrea's got a plan. Well, yeah, he's freaking out about how their relationship is over now. And she gives him a quick Vulcan neck pinch. And he faints as she removes her belt buckle. No! What are you doing? That sounds worse now that I'm reading it out loud. (laughs) Yeah, they're kids. They're kids, all right? (laughs) 
They won't be later, but now. So Andrea says goodbye as she watches a torpedo shoot out from the fish that has Enzo lying inside like a little coffin. Mm -hmm. Enzo speeds past the user into the treasure and wins the game. Making sure that uh, Enzo's okay, Bob's like, hey, your icon looks weird, and just taps it, which releases Andrea from her digital prison into another digital prison. There's this beautiful bright light that forms around Andrea, and she asks Enzo to introduce her to his friends, Guardian. <laughs> I like that she she reveals that she's placed a backup of herself into his icon, and he's like, you can do that? And she's like, uh-uh, I guess so. I didn't write this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that? Apparently... Hey, don't question it. It worked, didn't it? <laughs> and then it's revealed that Enzo was lying to her about who he was this whole time, which is a great way to start a relationship. Enzo smiles sheepishly at the camera as we cut to black. Everyone laughs. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe we're already in the back half of season two already? I know. It's gone so fast. I mean, season two is a shorter season, but it's still so weird that we're at the end of the second season already. And I, I have to say, I'm really excited that from Bad Bob on, this has been at the point now where I no longer have to say, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Just wait. <laughs> now I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, it's solid now. Like it's found its footing, uh, which is really it's fun to be in that moment again. So, <laughs> you know, next time we get that question of when does it solidify for you? I think Bad Bob has got to be the marker. Bad Bob is where it turns it around. Yeah. So, Jessica. Ben. I feel like you uh, made it pretty obvious how you feel about this episode. But but go ahead. <laughs> How'd you like this one? I like this one a lot. Um, I thought the episode itself was fun. I thought Andrea was adorable. I mean, I don't know if this is the way I would have dropped all this backstory stuff, but it was fun to actually get backstory. And I mean, that does come into play. The whole thing with the Twin City and their dad, like that's all stuff that will be addressed as we go along. So it's it's cool to get that backstory in there. And I thought it, they did a good job of continuing the storyline that they've been doing. So, you know, we saw in Bad Bob that Dot didn't want Bob to play with Enzo in the games anymore. We're seeing a fallout from that decision. We're seeing the story move forward with new information. So Enzo couldn't play with Bob anymore, couldn't go into the games, but now he's got a new friend. And so now we've got new plot that we can experience, which I think is pretty cool. <laughs> but I, I'm sensing some some tentativeness in your voice, Ben. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not doing this just to be contrary, I'm honest. But uh, yeah, I think you need to stop telling me how much I'm going to love upcoming characters because so far you're zero for two. <laughs> I like did not find Andrea to be as charming as everyone else seemed to. I, I kind of got annoying kid vibes from her. Uh, to be fair, you said that about Enzo too. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's room for her to grow on me, but so far not not yet. And like, I didn't find her look cute either. I don't know where everybody's coming with that. Oh, I thought she was adorable. I also did not love the shark mermaid look that Bob and Dot had like, like you did either. Oh, man. I can't. I don't know how you can't like that shark mermaid. That was so good. They were, they were it was like creepy and unsettling more than anything. That was why it was so good. I think the only part of the episode that I really genuinely enjoyed was the opening scene with all the binome reenactments. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know that those sprites do reappear later. Yeah, I found like the whole melodrama part about Enzo's loneliness and the dad and the Twin City, like, I don't know, it felt kind of clunky and out of place. It was a bit of an exposition drop. They did like, say a lot of information all at once without ever having referenced it before, which felt weird. Yeah. But again, I'm, I'm liking that they're moving forward and they're kind of just like, all right, we're not episode of the week anymore. 
we're creating a world and the world has structure and backstory. And I think if they had started doing that earlier, it probably would have come in a lot more naturally. I think that's the case, like, because we haven't had any hint of it until now. And so like right now they're just dropping it in as if it was supposed to have been there the whole time. But like they didn't earn it, you know? I can buy that. I do want to bring something up with you. And I'm curious if you caught this or not, because I think it makes the episode like 10 times sadder. Okay. So Andrea places a backup of herself onto Enzo's icon, not her actual self, a backup of herself. Cause we can see her saying goodbye in the window as Enzo goes into the treasure. So the backup is on Enzo that time. And there is an Andrea in the game still. So that Andrea was saying goodbye to Enzo. Well, let me take it back to you, though, because when the game restarts again, will she remember any of it? I don't know what happens when the game ends. If they're in the game forever, if game sprites are programmed in the game, they go with the game. So if you lend the game to your neighbor, those game sprites are over there, right? So I don't know. Are they, like, dead when the game's not on? <laughs> yeah, so I imagine, like, if they're they're just generated as the game requires... So, like, I think it would be a, be a brand new, like, she's starting from square one every time. But she is specifically an AI, which is supposed to learn from the user. It'd be difficult to learn from the user if she, her memories are erased every time. Hmm. Ah, I got you thinking on that one. Food for thought. <laughs> I don't know. As, as someone who loves sad stories, the idea of her saying goodbye to Enzo and knowing that she can't ever see him again, probably, but sending off this copy of herself... Now here's the thing. So if Enzo and copy Andrea start having a relationship and then that game gets played again and Enzo's in it, what happens there? Jealousy. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. That speaks to me. The drama speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what speaks to me? Goofy ass megabyte bino. <laughs> <laughs> Alphanumeric. So it's time for bits and bites. Jessica, what kind of trivia did you dig up this time? All right. So one thing I wanted to point out was the voice actors for the fake reboot cast <laughs> uh so scott mcneil is the voice actor that plays all of the actor versions of every character except for dot so he's playing the bad accented bob he's playing the overdramatic megabyte <laughs> and then uh michael donovan who you'll know from the voice of fong and cecil and mike the tv is the one who's playing dot okay <laughs> captain quirk and john luke make a reappearance with all the Star Trek references. So we've got that he keeps saying engage and make it so all the time. And later on, he's trying to order tea, Earl Grey, from Cecil, though Cecil's not having it. <laughs> so Bob's lesson, game lesson, includes references to a Hydra and a Golden Fleece. So he's obviously been playing some Jason and the Argonauts. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, we get the nod to Indiana Jones in the classroom as well, when we see the binome that I heart you written on her eyelids. Yes. Uh, and Fong's robot schematic is the same robot from the talent show that also stands in as the robot from YTV. Uh, and as you pointed out, one of the binums that we see exiting the diner in a panic is actually Waldo, or as you mentioned, Wally for UK. He's got the, the usual red and white striped uh, sweater and hat going on. So you found him. I did. I found him. <laughs> the wiki mentioned that the torpedo scene where we get to see Enzo being fired from the torpedo is similar to the way Spock was sent to the Genesis pilot in Star Trek 2. You needed the wiki for that? Well, I don't remember the last time I've watched Star Trek 2. <laughs> <laughs> and the last time you've watched Star Trek 2 was like a month ago. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
And so, as I think you've already known, because you've seen the older version of Enzo. So yeah, his eye patch is an eye patch of foreshadowing. Uh, <laughs> it's an eye patch of foreshadowing on the wrong eye, but <laughs> nonetheless. So let's get into the game. All right. I've got three different selections for you. Uh, so the first one I found was one called Atlantis. The gameplay isn't the same, but I figured it's called Atlantis, so you got to include it. <laughs> uh, so this was released in 1982 for the Atari. It was a little bit more like Galaga than anything else. You were the city of Atlantis, uh, sitting kind of beneath the water with some of the islands tipping over the water. Um, and you had different buildings that you were in charge of, and there were Gorgon ships uh, flying overhead, and you had to shoot them down to protect your city. <laughs> it was very 8-bit, uh, very old school, 82. So, you know, it, it doesn't relate too much to our game that we see here, except in the theme of Atlantis. Right. The second game I found is one called Subwar 2050, a futuristic 3D submarine simulator computer game. So I was picturing, if I were the user... Uh, this would probably be a first-person thing where you're in that shark sub, right? As you look out into the ocean and are kind of moving through the different locations. So that's what this game is. This game is you've got the sub controls sitting in front of you so that you can go up and down, left and right. Um, and you can use your torpedoes if you need to, change your speed, all that stuff. And then you have to fight different creatures that come your way or different enemies and make your way through the ocean floor. Uh, there's no kind of like magical to it so there's no mermaids or piranha bombs or <laughs> uh, lost city of atlantis but i thought from a pov that it worked really well for what the game was and then my final choice was echo the dolphin hey i've heard of that one <laughs> <laughs> uh i felt like it's the underwater game especially from that era. I mean, when you think of games that are played underwater, like Echo the Dolphin is one of the big ones. So it's an action adventure game. Uh, so it was developed for the Sega Genesis back in 1992. And one of the big portions of the game is that Echo travels to Atlantis, where he discovers a time machine and library uh, and that aliens are coming down and harvesting water from the earth every 500 <laughs> years. So, you know, you've got this, You've got this character that you're playing and you're trying to make your way through a magical ocean. Now you're a dolphin, not a shark sub, right. but <laughs> it, it kind of had a lot of the same feel of, you know, that kind of mystical aspect of it. And you actually go to Atlantis in it. So I thought that was really fun. And I thought of the three, it kind of meshed the best. So would you play this game then? That's a good question. I kind of like the race against time aspect of it mm -hmm. more so than the setting. So yeah, I mean, I think if it's in terms of, yeah, like trying to defeat the sharks and then race to the end, I think that might be a pretty decent game to play. I'd be on board. I think if it was a game similar to Echo, where you kind of had that, that side-scrollingness to it, I think I'd be all about it. If it was the first person, you're in a sub kind of game, I probably wouldn't be too into it. Right. I can't play any of the Bethesda games because I don't like first person. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually right there with you. Yeah, I'm much more of a side-scroller myself. But if, if, if this was side-scroller or you got to, like, see where you were and, like, look around, I think it would be fun. I thought the environment was really cool. So I'd, I'd play it. This is wrong. This is all wrong. So every week we like to choose moments that stick out to us, whether they're funny or odd, out of character, or just a weird bit of animation. And we like to award the golden pigtail for frostiest moment. And Jessica, do you have any nominees this week? Uh, my first nominee is Andrea being a freaking cutie. 
I don't care what you say, Ben. She is adorable. Yeah, sure. <laughs> now, I will say she's kind of got this little, like, pink eye thing that makes her look like she's a little stoned. But other than that, <laughs> definitely a cutie. Uh, but not my winner. My winner is definitely Dot's awesome shark avatar, and I can't believe you don't like it. It's so cool. Ah. <laughs> we have uh, different ideas of what's frosty, I think. <laughs> well, last week we both picked the same frosty moment, so I guess this week it's it's fair that we That's true. <laughs> go our separate ways. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I have to go with the bad binome acting in the beginning. That's just the, <laughs> made the whole episode for me. So. You just want a whole episode of the Tales of Mainframe? Yeah, you know what? I would. I would watch that instead of uh, this one. <laughs> Let's open up our mailbag. What do you say? Sounds good. I actually put out our call for uh, questions and feedback. Uh, and we got a whole bunch. We did. I saw there's a ton of people, mostly about how cute they thought Andrea was. So whatever, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Nolan Hayes actually asks, what is your most embarrassing young crush interaction you've had? Or your favorite nautical themed media? <laughs> <laughs> it's two very different questions. <laughs> I don't know if I've had embarrassing crush interactions. Uh, most of my crushes just involved crushing on someone from afar and never ever talking to them. So I will say, uh, I don't think it's embarrassing. I own it. But it was the 90s. I had the biggest crush on Matthew Lawrence, the middle Lawrence brother. <laughs> Star of Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, complete with his 90s hair. So, I mean, it's a little embarrassing. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot that out there as, as crush. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Oh, man. I'm not going to get into my interactions, but... Uh... <laughs> If I want to have a most embarrassing young crushes, I'll open this one up, I guess. I mean, because I had, I had pretty standard ones like your Amanda Bynes or Alex Max, but uh, I'll say probably the most embarrassing one would have to be Gadget from the Rescue Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're not alone in that. <laughs> no, you, as, as a Google image search will find. <laughs> uh, as for my favorite nautical setting... I haven't thought about this, uh, so my first thought just goes straight to Little Mermaid, which, you know, as a story has not aged well with me, but as a wonderful animation with fun music that I like watching has definitely stayed around. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go with Little Mermaid for now until I come up with a better one. Yeah, I'm really wrecking my brain here because, like, I'm not much of an under-the-sea guy. I'm much more of a outer space guy, which is funny because a lot of the outer space, like, terminology and imagery is based on naval ships and stuff like that. So there is a bit of crossover, but in terms of, like, favorite underwater media, I guess I'll have to go with SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we've got a bunch of feedback saying that Andrea is cute. Steph Naylor uh, said Andrea is cute, but she also liked Mermaid Bob and Dot. Uh, so take that, Ben. Uh, <laughs> Super Smash Bros. Feud said that she was so adorable, it's ridiculous. Uh, Stephen Gower pointed out that this is around the time that the Lego underwater sets came out. So this is a pretty fun combination for him because he's watching ocean-themed reboot and building ocean-themed Legos. Uh, Gavin Blair let us know his crush and nautical theme are all the same, <laughs> uh, which is Marina on Stingray. I don't know what that is, but apparently she's a puppet. Oh, it's a marionette kind of in that Thunderbird style. Yeah, that's definitely what it looks like from the picture. I'm un completely unfamiliar with the show, but hey, Ben was in love with the cartoon mouse, so do you, Gavin? <laughs> 
William Burton said that this was the first episode his family saw on TV back in the day, which drew him into becoming fans to this day. Awesome. It was actually, they were flipping through channels and just as Bob and Dot rebooted into their mermaids, and it's like, wait, what was that? <laughs> and uh, it helped that it was the first episode of a major story arc that really began, so. So yeah, way to go. That's a good episode to come in on. Mike at Mike Instinctively on Twitter uh, asks if AI dreams... She's a good question. And this actually brought up another thing I thought about. Technically, aren't any of the sentient sprites AI? Like, even if you're not in a game. So, like, Bob and Dot, they're technically artificial intelligence, right? That's what I don't get. Like, the, the differentiation between the different, like, types that they talk about. So, like, yeah, like, what makes an in-game AI different from any of the other people in mainframe? I wonder if that's something that they wrote out or not. Uh, so, Gavin, if you're listening to this episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts. But it's, a, it's an interesting question. And as for whether or not they dream, well, we know they sleep. So I wouldn't be surprised if they dreamed. If they're doing a little, like, um, uh, defragging at night, and you know, little bits <laughs> turn into bits of dream. Well, we know that they dream of electric sheep. <laughs> so we have two new Patreon backers that we need to shout out. The first one is a $2 backer, Michael Steele. And then we got a $10 backer. This is Carl Raid. So uh, I think it's pronounced Raid. I apologize, Carl, if I got your name wrong. So Carl gets a nickname. She goes something nautical. <laughs> King Triton. Carl King Triton Raid. <laughs> and uh, as a $10 backer, he's also receiving a fun sticker. And uh, Ben actually made his first reaction video for this. Uh, so Carl's going to be able to watch Ben's reactions to watching Andrea for the first time. So thank you, Michael. Thank you, Carl. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. I think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable. So do you have anything uh, you want to recommend this week? I do. Uh, so with our nautical theme, I actually have a nautical recommendation. So uh, one of my newfound comic book friends, uh, her name is Lucy Bellwood. She normally is famous for her comics that she does that are based on sailing on ships. She loves sailing on ships. Uh, she loves drawing ships. She loves teaching people about ships. Uh, but I'm going to recommend her latest book, which is 100 Demon Dialogues. Uh, she went ahead and did 100 days of drawing. And each day she did a little talk with her demon, her own personal demon. Uh, her personal demon will tell her something along the lines of, you're no good, you can't do it, you're going to fail, uh, no one loves you, blah, blah, blah. And she'll tell her demon one way or another how wrong it is. Um, and it's turned into a huge thing. Uh, she's got like little like demon plushies and stuff. Um, and she's kind of made it a little bit of a mission to help people fight off their own personal demons. Your own personal demon. <laughs> If you ever felt like a fake or a failure, hopefully this will make you feel a little less alone. Uh, so you can check her out at lucybellwood.com. And again, the book is called 100 Demon Dialogues. That sounds good. I'll recommend uh, Adrian Tomine is another comic creator that I like. So you might have gotten the uh, sense from my uh, previous recommendations that I'm not much for like your standard superhero or like swashbuckling adventure comics. So I tend to go for more kind of slice of life, dry humor kind of things. So yeah, this is more of the same. So <laughs> Adrian Tomine does a comic called Optic Nerve which has been collected into various uh, collections. Uh, one of them is Sleepwalk. And another one is Summer Blonde. Then there's a recent one he did called Killing and Dying. And it's just various vignettes from like ver different characters, different uh, settings every time. And they're all kind of like, you know, more serious, kind of dry, some sometimes humorous. So seek out his work. Awesome. 
So what are we looking at next week? So next week, it's season two, episode seven, Nullzilla. Oh, shit. <laughs> Null's gone wild. Null's everywhere. Null's destroying cities. <laughs> Null's gone wild. <laughs> hey, you throw some beads at those Nulls, you don't know what they'll do. <laughs> uh, so you can check us out either on Twitter at Incoming Game Pod on Facebook at Incoming Gamecast, or you can visit our website, IncomingGameCast.com, where you can send us little email messages. You can check me out on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook uh, at Stravino Lady. Uh, it's S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O Lady. I'm uh, at Dudworks on the social media, D-U-D-W-O-R-K-S, and uh, Dudworks.com. I'm going to be trying to get some new comic work out myself but uh no promises on that front and our uh, theme music is spasmatic apolka by kevin mcleod you want to call this a night i think it's about that time all right well thanks everybody for listening and until next week stay frosty folks game over the user wins